It's October the 12th, 2019. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I am Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Melican. And Hi, it Brendan. is October the 2nd, not October the 12th, but that's okay. No October, judgment. October, it's someday in October, right? It is, yeah, beginning of October, not mid. 30 days hath September, 12 Mondays hath October. Here at the top of the show, let's round up the headlines with Worcester in 60 seconds. Am I supposed to start that? Am I supposed to say anything? It's supposed to be a joke where we're just quiet for 60 seconds. <laughs> Maybe people already get the joke. <laughs> yeah. We ruined that one. <laughs> um, yeah, this is definitely one of these weeks where, where the late Jeff Barnard would say the top story in Worcester is that there's no there's no top story. No. You know, if you're you're making a you're making a physical newspaper, so you gotta put stuff on the front page above the fold, but that's there's nothing that cries out to be in that area. No, well, we get a little bit more conversation about uh, mountain lions, though, in this week's uh, West area. That's exciting. So we have more unconfirmed sightings? Yeah, well, yeah. We've got mountains of unconfirmed mountain lion sightings. That's I think this microphone's blocking your face. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, lots of uh, unconfirmed mountain lion sightings, and I think that's fantastic. We got to get out there in a tree stand. I feel like we're doing bad. We do have to get out there in a tree stand. The fact that we're sitting in a closet rather than a tree stand this week shows that we're not committed to true community Bigfoot doesn't find itself, Mike. You know, Brendan, uh, my friend Paul Letsky's funeral was at St. John's this morning. Paul was a great guy. Uh, at some point in becoming an adult, I realized that it's good to go to funerals. Mm. And over the last 10 years, I've been slacking a little bit. But recently, I've gotten my act together again. And I'm, tr- you know, I'm going to funerals. Wakes funerals and weddings, man. That's what that's, that's all about. That's right. That's right. I, I, I feel like at some point, I decided I was going to have some kind of weird cost thing where it's like, if it's a kind of distant relative and I don't have a lot of cash on hand, um, so that, you know, like distant isn't like physically distant. Yeah. Uh, or maybe ge- generationally distant. Like I'm not going to go to this wake, wedding, funeral, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, what am I spending my money on? Stupid stuff. I should be buying plane tickets to go see every one of my 15th cousins getting married or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, hopefully not dying, but... Is there a parallel to, like, wedding crashing for funerals? In the movie The Wedding Crashers, I believe that uh, Will Ferrell's character is a funeral crash. Is he a funeral crash? Yeah, it's I didn't of, pay that much attention to the movie, clearly. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so I don't know, man. It was interesting being at St. John's. Like, you just think a lot about St. John's. You think a lot about funerals. It was a well-attended funeral. Um, it got me to thinking about what's the best attended funeral I've been to in Worcester. The answer is, I don't know. A more or less, uh, a better attendance than, uh, our last election. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was way more people than voted in the last election. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's at least double digits of people in this room. Well, I would say tri- triple Paul. digits in this people, Strong this work. room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a good funeral. Um, you know, it had obviously like a big Catholic component and a lot of references to his work with 12 step groups. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, he was, he had been in the Navy long ago. So there was a, you know, they played, uh, Reveille or no taps Mm -hmm. and we sang the star spangled banner and some Navy guys came out and did some stuff with the flag. And then as they were, you know, carrying the coffin out of the church, there was a, a bike helmet in the middle of the coffin right right there on top of the closed casket it's beautiful good stuff it was beautiful good job paul i mean i I, yeah i know other people who have more detailed and more hilarious funeral plans Mm. uh or especially wake plans but uh we have a funeral pyre uh in the back behind city hall in the common is that your goal yeah yeah we've been working on this one for a while we're gonna get we're gonna we have to keep at least one Goretti supermarket uh, open so that uh, all my friends can get together and steal old pallets from a Goretti supermarket. That's where, that was my first job. I'm going to stack up a bunch of uh, of wooden pallets from Goretti's. I'm going to toss my corpse on top, light the whole thing up, and yeah, just have a big party out in the common. No permits for this. We're just we're just doing it. Open flames. It's going to be fantastic. You can barbecue on my corpse as it burns. My my friend my friend Fitzy, who has been in poor health ever since I've known him, as well as being incredibly uh, vigorous for an old timer as long as I know him. Mm-hmm. So I'm always kind of surprised whenever I see him alive, and also kind of surprised every time he has to go to the hospital or something. But he has a whole thing legitimately worked out, like in his will or with a funeral home, and the whole nine, where he's going to be wearing in the casket uh, counterfeit masters. Uh, jacket, okay. like a green, like a green blazer with like the symbol yeah. and all that stuff. He already has that all. It's like sitting in a closet somewhere. Beautiful. And uh, he's gonna have a red clown nose. Yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be open casket and people get to go by and be like, "There's Fitzy." Yeah, <laughs> there he is. Oh, there that's good stuff. Yeah. 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 But do you have any plans? 
for your funeral? Uh, Wake? My, my plan for my funeral is to die before Father John Madden dies because Father John Madden is a very excellent homilist, a very excellent funeral homilist. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, he speaks, he's very eloquent without being showy or grandstanding. Okay. Like I certainly wouldn't mind if like, I don't know, I don't even know who's a great orator living today, but you know, if somebody with a booming voice got up there and decided to do, you know, some kind of like free at last, free at last, thank God almighty we're free at last or whatever, that would be fine. But it's kind of cooler to have a really good eulogy that's done in a heartfelt, but not a flashy way, not a booming voice way, not a cadency way. I just want a big party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else you got? Oh, we got so much stuff, Brendan. How's post vape life going in Massachusetts? It's kind of miserable, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. It's, you know, I, like I actually have employees that have gone back to heaters. They're they're going back to the cigarettes, and it's like it was three Wait, days going back to heaters. That's it. Whatever. I, the guys it, I used to work with, but uh, when, whatever. Out in Boston, everyone called them heaters, whatever. But um, yeah, instead of, they've gone back to regular cigarettes instead of their uh, their jewel pods and, and and vaporizers. You know, something I heard recently was people calling the Worcester House of Corrections the jail, county jail, mm-hmm. uh, Worcester House. <laughs> Which uh, I've been told by friends this week. Well, of course, everybody calls it that. How did you never know this? I don't think I've ever but, heard that before. Uh, yeah, I mean, and this was uh, you know people who have been in and out of Worcester House talking about somebody coming out of Worcester House, and uh, I love it because it sounds like it's either some kind of uh, kind of like a cool office in like London, yeah, would be called Worcester House, or maybe like a kind of kind of nice restaurant. The whole thing with the, the vaporizers is just bizarre, though. Like, I mean, so yesterday the CDC actually came out and, and said. Matter of factly, yeah, it's just THC carts. It, it's black market THC carts. That's the problem. Um, so, like, it, basically, the CDC has publicly stated that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is doing absolutely nothing except enraging people for no obvious reason. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I, I can't, for the life of me, understand how healthcare professionals can think that they're doing something when they're, in fact, doing absolutely nothing. I mean, if you've got some big moral quandary with people inhaling things, and sure, whatever, carry on. But we're talking about stuff that's actually illegal in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and it is having no known impact on the health of anybody. And it just, it's really bizarre. I get the whole thing is bizarre, right? Because the majority of folks that I talk to anyways still seem to think that, much of this has to do with nicotine vaporizing, which it never did. At no point in time was anyone actually concerned about that. It seemed to be some degree of confusion in, in the CDC and the FDA's language that they initially use, that they recommend people uh, abstain from uh, using vaporized nicotine. But that was always their stance. The CDC has never gone around endorsing the use of nicotine, right? Nothing changed about their stance at all. If you went back and looked at the CDC recommendations on Juul Pods two years ago, it You're still right. said, yeah, Don't we, were, do it, kids. we think that you probably shouldn't do this. Stick to the heaters. And they're correct because you don't want to get addicted to nicotine. But if you're already there, you know, there, there are alternatives. You know, Brendan, I was just looking at our uh, our endorsements show from the 2011 election, and Marv, which I'll encourage people to look at. I won't put a, up a link. You feeling okay? Uh that I was looking that up. Yeah, I mean, back I was 2011 at, for I don't endorsements. Remember what I was? I was trying to fix something okay. on the RSS side and stumbled upon this. This is the only reason I ever watch old episodes. Is whenever I'm trying to like fix a video, some video thing that's busted somewhere, mm-hmm. or some blog post that accidentally got deleted, and I just realized how high our energy used to be and how positive we were on life, even though everything was terrible. And I feel like we got to stay positive on this show. All right. Yeah, I'll work on that. I mean, I'm just, like I said, I'm just coming from a funeral. So my brain is not in positivity. Well, we land. were younger then. And at the same time, I feel like, uh, you know, all of our, our substance abuse was illicit. And that's the problem. Now everything is legal. So it's boring and we're old. Now we're old and bored. I'm not old nor bored, Brandon. I'm here to talk about regional rail, baby. Did I ever talk about Transit Matters' falls report on regional rail? I don't think you did. But. This This title is a regional rail proof of concept. And one of the subtitles of regional rail proof of concept is how to provide frequent all-day service on the Worcester, Worcester line. line. The Worcester Line is the road to ride. What's the plan? The plan is to make things so that South Station can go from handling 20 trains an hour to going from to handling like 26 trains an hour, maybe 30 trains an hour. Uh, how do we do it? They say, and this is a beautiful line that I I would not mind having on my tombstone, our guiding principle, as always, is organization 
before electronics, before concrete. <laughs> you should put that on your headstone. That would be, <laughs> yeah, that's how I'm going to um, remember you. So con- concrete-wise, the plan for the Worcester line would be to transform the platforms into high-level platforms and build a second platform at Worcester. Uh, these would be paid for by modifying the current plans. First, we wouldn't be able to do the big South Station extension that we're planning. And second is that we would never again buy a double-decker train. Um, and so uh, these cha- these changes would mean that we could have, if we chose, four trains an hour running out of Worcester. All right. Which would be a lot of tra- – not, not as many trains an hour as we have now. I just love this. that Like, like, like the big visionary stuff here is like raise the pl- – I think high platform meaning like – Three feet higher than it is currently. Yeah. Just basically like people having to walk up and down those little stairs is like incredibly, incredibly slows down the whole boarding process and slowing down the boarding process just makes it the whole trip take way longer than it needs to take. Yeah. There's something in this too that I think is similar to uh, probably what's happening on the sidelines when it comes to rethinking the WRTA that, you know, we, we have services and they're, they're, they're necessary services. We, we don't want to uh, dismantle what the, the, the skeleton of what's left of those services as they stand today. But we also need to be mindful of how people should be using them uh, 24 hours a day, which right now isn't even thought of. And that's yes. whether you're going in, into Boston and need to get back to Worcester uh, without sleeping uh, in a doorway somewhere. It's like, you kind of can't do that. Like late night, there is no service coming back this yep. way. Yep. Uh, same for the buses, right? Like if, if a municipality or, or anyone really is going to say things like don't drink and drive, but then the buses aren't available at night. Now Uber, obviously Uber and Lyft have, have, have kind of slid into some of that, the, the coverage there, but man, it just, it seems like that's one of those places that uh, government does a terrible job of thinking how people actually want to use things, which shouldn't be the hard part to, to figure out. Well, let's stay positive, though, Brandon. The nice, thing is, the nice thing is that this is something that we can do. Like, we can basically say, let's not make the South Station expanded, which South Station, to get negative for a minute, isn't that great. Making train platforms three feet higher, way cooler than making South Station <laughs> bigger, in my opinion. Uh yeah, and the, just the idea of having that flexibility is very exciting. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, people are always writing plans. Like whenever we say like, oh, the WRT should be free to mm-hmm. ride. Yeah, yeah. And the, the question is, well, there we do make like a few million dollars a year off of fares. Mm-hmm. Certainly the small percentage of the expense sure. is fares, but it's a few million dollars a year. So is the state going to give us a few million dollars a year more to make up for that? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, so where was, right. So that's like a real show supper. This, this kind of report I love because this report is like, you, we need a few million dollars a year and here's what we do to get, to get that within the current budget. Sure. I think the other way to look at it as well though, too, is, uh, you know, so yes, if we if everything is just black and white, then those are the costs that are involved. But what are the accessory costs from having extra cars on the road at any moment in time? If you started peeling those cars away, are there savings in other places that uh, monies could be shifted around? Whether it be in healthcare from head injuries because of drunk driving accidents, uh, all the way down to road repairs because of the massive uh, increase in cars on the road. Did we ever talk about the most beautiful churches in the city of Worcester? I don't think so. Or, or I, I should say, if there are any attractive Catholic churches in the city of Worcester, I'll tell you one. Being at St. John's this morning, yep. I was like, St. John's is pretty great. And, you know, it got really rehabbed a lot because the ceiling collapsed at one point. Uh, and the train was going by in the middle of this funeral. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like this isn't as bad as having an interstate right adjacent to your building. Right. But it's got to be up there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, it, so we think of hospitals, right? Like you can have a train running through your hospital. You wouldn't want an interstate running through your hospital. That would be weird. Having a train running through your hospital is super weird. We're talking about St. Vincent Hospital <laughs> yeah. where there's a train running kind of under that waterfall or sort just, of. A, just adjacent to the uh, to the fake waterfall. It's not a waterfall anymore. It's just a fall. I think it's more of a mountain. I haven't seen water running in that thing in Are ages. Are you kidding? No, I don't think. Should we, we, we uncover a scandal? Yeah, I've never, I haven't seen water in there in a while. I see, I see Gary Rogen's, Rosen's pigeons hanging around there all the time, but I've oh, not seen any water. Oh, waterfall was so great. Oh, yeah. we should, this is like. Maybe they turn it on for wedding photos. I don't know, but I think they're just trying to cut back on, on costs. Somebody was asking about last, somebody who was listening to last week's show, uh, basically over the transom sitting in one of the Jason offices at WCCA <laughs> hearing us talk through the not thick ceilings at WCCA was, you know, heard you talking about the federal square fountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we really clarify when we start first start talking about what fountain we're talking about. So mm-hmm. this person was like, 
you, were you guys talking about the fountain behind City Hall? Like that was just a reflecting pond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, no, no, no. But and you know, just this question of like, yeah, like there was never any water in that reflecting pond since I moved to Worcester. Well, there was when I was a kid. It was great. Yeah. yeah. There used to be water at some point, but at some point you just like give up. Same thing with the Turtle Boy statue. You just yeah. like give up and say, oh, let's not run water. I feel like I don't know what kind of uh, what kind of civic engagement organizations would do this, but I would love to see. Like, uh, now that we're doing all kind, now that we have like some breathing room in this city and like we're having an affordable housing problem, but most of our other problems are actually like kind of working out. Okay. Yeah. Let's get obsessed with just like every fun, every, every fountain, a running fountain. That would be a great campaign for somebody to work, run on, uh, for, for public office is like that, that one issue, uh, campaign. I would turn on the taps. Turn it on the taps. It's, but it, it is funny cause it's, you know, you go to Boston, the Greenway, uh, over by, um, the aquarium, they have a beautiful water feature there that like during the summer is loaded with kids playing, whatever. And it's a down, dancing fountain sort of thing. So it's like the big shoot of water goes up, makes an arc, comes down and it disappears in the grounds. The kids are like in, banged in the head by big bursts of water and whatnot. It's hilarious. Um, but it's not too dissimilar from the fountain that we just put in behind city hall. And what did we do with ours? We caged it because like, we don't want any joy near our fountains. It's like, we don't want kids getting, you know, it, it, I'm oh, sure people somebody, will be up there slipping and falling off. It has all these really sharp, not, not really sharp, but sharp for a fountain, like ceramic pieces on it. Right. Like rock pieces on it. It really is set up for like, do you want to have a slip and have a rock ram through a child's head? It's perfect. It's perfect. No, I don't want that to that. happen, but I think, you know, just having a fountain that someone can, you know, water is cool and in summer in Massachusetts is hot. Those, it would those be things nice. go hand in hand. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's part of the, every fountain, a running fountain. Also every fountain, a non-lethal fountain. Yeah. You say, we gotta, we gotta free the, uh, world war two fountain. I think it's a world war two fountain. It's, I think it's multiple wars, but free the war fountain. <laughs> But also take off the sharp rocks. Take off the whoops. Like somehow reconfigure yeah. that fountain so that it's no longer like the fountain of death. You know, th that fountain actually was um, uh, the main speaking platform for uh, Occupy Worcester yeah. back, whatever, eight years ago, back when it, it wasn't really a running fountain and it didn't mm -hmm. have the sharp rocks on it. I don't remember. Yeah. It was a nice speaking platform. It was I mean, a nice speaking platform. There was no know. fence around it then. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different vibe. Um,. Brent crude oil is $58 a barrel, down 6% on the weekend, down 30% on the year. Wither Brent crude oil, my friend. There it is. Um, usually not a good, usually economically a bad sign when oil prices uh, fall a lot because it means that people can't figure out anything to do with oil. Um, Get some trains moving. I mean, right, like right, like ultimately it's going to run. We could run all of our fountains on Brent crude oil. We could make them all out of oil. You can just see shooting shooting oil out of those fountains. If we were Texas, we should do that. Not here. Bitcoin is eighty two hundred dollars down one percent on the week and up twenty eight percent on the year. Better uh, than square stock. Here's here's something which is also positive. This is a, uh, and I'm going to read from Brad Petrushen's article in the Telegram. The Department of Environmental Protection, the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection, plans to cut waste disposal thirty percent in the next ten years, and they released their. 2030 solid waste master plan draft for public comment. And, um, I, I usually like to read these a couple of times before we talk about them on the show. This one, I only, I skimmed one time. Um, yeah. So the goal it like, they basically say, what do they say? Uh, Landfill capacity for municipal solid waste and construction and demolition debris is projected to decline to virtually zero by the end of the next decade. So, um, like we got to not like, so the idea is like, we got to start cutting our, our disposal fast. And I love this because, you know, whenever we've talked about recycling and all the recycling drama in the city of Worcester, I feel like we always come down to at the end of the day, like recycling only helps a smidgen, however you're doing the recycling, yeah. right? Like the thing is you just got to like not throw this stuff away. So this, so this isn't, this is only a, maybe a little bit focused on not throwing this stuff away. But, um, yeah, like if you look at the stuff that has the most, uh, is this tons? What the heck is this number? This report is frustrating to me. Um, <laughs> is this for, um, commercial or is this, uh, like residential waste? As this well? is all kinds of, this is all kinds of waste. Yeah. Um, we want to reduce total disposal by 2 million tons on an annual basis. In 2008, 
it was uh, 6.5 million tons. And the goal was to take it to, oh, and the goal is to take it to 4.5. So from 6.5 to 4.5 by 2020, this is 30% reduction. Um, at this point, we've done 14% of that reduction. So we're maybe halfway through and we're like halfway, yeah, halfway through. It, well, the reduction is not on pace to meet a 2020 goal. The decrease is significant when considering the state gross domestic product grew 16% during the time area. And usually when the gross domestic product goes up, product goes up also your use of things like Brent crude oil and uh, Dama, or uh, Dunkin' Donuts cups goes up. You know how you uh, meet that goal, Mike? You bring back the municipal piggery. Well, this is part of it, actually. This is, um, I mean, I'm we were ahead of the curve. You so didn't need to write that report, Matt, Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I'm going to go to Brad Petrushin because he actually read this report and understood it enough to write some bullet points. Uh, planning initiatives include increasing requirements on the diversion of commercial food material from disposable, mm -hmm. disposal, yeah. aka pig farm or some kind of composting, I guess. Yeah. Improve the performance of recycling facilities, handling construction and demolition materials. And that would be a, a, a regulation thing. Providing financial and technical assistance to enhance municipal solid waste and recycling programs. Targeting the reuse and recycling of textiles, mattresses, and all other bulky waste items. And that's a big thing that people have talked about is like, it would be great if we had like clothing recycling, textile recycling municipally. And the idea is also to have better mattress recycling yeah. in, the, in the Commonwealth. Uh, enhance compliance and enforcement of existing waste disposal bans. Always, also, always a good idea. Pursue additional bans on target materials, and advance adoption of extended producer responsibility systems for select materials. I believe Massachusetts has had a. Uh, I don't remember what the the, the tonnage is, but for um, food operations that produce like X amount of uh, of poundage or tonnage of food waste per year. They are required already to uh, to, to participate in, in composting for that food waste. I think it's just an enhancement of that existing. I would assume so. Yeah. I would assume so. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that it's exciting. This idea that we're going to reduce by twenty twenty. We're going to not by twenty twenty. By uh, wait a second. Whatever the lifespan of a pig is. This is actually by twenty thirty. Oh, but so by twenty thirty. So yeah, by twenty thirty, the goal we're going to reduce our uh, solid waste. About another 15%, 17% from what it is this year. Just in time for sea levels to rise and all that uh, remaining waste to get washed into the ocean. Well, you know, every, every, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, Greg Sestero was in town last week for a Cinema Worcester screening of Tommy Wiseau's movie, The Room. I keep meaning to go to a Cinema, cinema Worcester event as I am a cineast, but... Uh, not a movie buff. There's a difference. Yeah. I certainly respect the classically movie. trained. I certainly respect the movie buff, but yes, I, I'm the kind of person who feels bad about not, not liking Jean Luc Godard. Sure. Um, and uh, a movie buff would just be like, forget it. Just watch the watch those great Clint Eastwoods, man. Yeah. Whatever. They'll stick with whatever the MCU. They, Mike. Whatever they want to watch. Sure. Exactly. They'd be like, listen, man. The MCU has a lot of a lot of unacknowledged Character treasures depth. in it. Character depth. Yeah. I mean. Come on, man. The French, French New Wave, are you serious? Anyway, so uh, Greg Sestero, who is the co-star of uh, The Room and the co-writer of the uh, his sort of bio, bio autobiography of making The Room and getting to, to know Tommy Wiseau, the disaster artist, was in town. I never saw The Room before. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was super great. Uh, I see why people like it so much as a bad movie. It felt like it was a better better at doing bad movie things than most bad movies I've seen. And this is not a movie aesthetics podcast, so we don't have to go into that. But he and he had a great he had a great road show, and it was just cool to be like, oh yeah, like I don't know. I think I feel like maybe other subcultures of Worcester feel this all the time. They're like, oh yeah, somebody from you know somebody from the metal scene or somebody from the comedy scene is coming through who's well known and beloved. Yeah, and uh, I feel like less less often somebody from the uh, feature film scene who's beloved is you know Werner Herzog or whatever is not sure. just like coming through town to, to host a screening that often. Is that? Do you think that's because we don't have the infrastructure uh, for uh, film to actually be? I think we're a small town. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're just not a big stop. I mean, like yeah. Greg Sestero is in town because. Well, uh, that's not true. John Cleese is coming to uh, the Hanover for a screening of Monty I Python mean, and the whole Search for the Holy Grail. People Mike, come that's in, people come. Oh, there, there you go. I mean, Two hundred fifty bucks for a picture. There you go. Well, th and this thing was at the Sprinkler Factory, we so this get, was like a very our picture taker, I mean, John Cleese. Like the Sprinkler Factory is obviously a lot nicer f facility. Than this closet, but it's similarly like 
an intimate venue. So mm-hmm. you can imagine you're at the Hanover and John Cleese's people are like moving you along and, you know, validating your credit card or whatever before yeah. they let you get within 20 feet of John Cleese. Nobody's validating anything. Nobody has any people at the sprinkler factory. The sprinkler factory is just some dudes in a nicely refurbished warehouse. Yeah. It's still pretty warehousey warehouse. With a bunch of bunch of Ferraris and shipping containers out back. There you go. Well, and, and I mean, Greg Sestero was in town because I think the Coolish Corner Theater in uh, Boston was playing the uh, James Franco film of his book, The Disaster Artist, oh, okay. uh, over the weekend. And so he was coming in to, to, to be you know a, a presence at that. Um, and so, yeah. Cinema Worcester was able to like be like, hey, you know, we'll we'll throw you some change and you can sell some books if you can. I thought you were going to say Coolidge Corner was booked with Avengers Endgame, so they had to bounce it out here to Worcester. Are they still running Avengers Endgame? Are we going to talk about the Avengers? It's better than talking about Star Wars. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. We got a lot of other stuff. We've had a bunch of we had a couple of moose. In the city over the last we week? We had a couple of moose. Now we have one. <laughs> yeah. This moose got hit by a car. And died. And died. Um, you know, just as I was walking over here, it was nice to see uh, there was a sign, Ambassadors at Work. Yep. This was these uh, downtown ambassadors who are these guys who are being paid by the uh, Downtown Business Improvement District to do things like, I don't know, wear a polo shirt mostly, I guess, deal with trash, deal with uh, disruptive situations. Sure. These, these guys were like power washing off the sidewalk in front of CVS. But uh, it, it put me in mind of an uh, uh, article by the great Bat Brad Petrushin, which we didn't talk about a couple weeks ago when it happened. Downtown Worcester ambassador accused of threatening to shoot up workplace at Federal Square Garage. Yeah. But if, if your workplace is downtown Worcester, that's a big threat. I tell you, I feel like we only ever have negative stories about the the, the um, ambassadors. I'm sure they're, these are great people. I don't yeah. think I know. Do I know anybody who's working as an ambassador? I don't think so. Like, I mean, the last time, we, the, the last article we had was just ambassador talks trash about downtown Worcester previous to two years ago or whatever yeah. it was, you know, talks about what, what, a, what a hell, what a hell hole. That was a, a quick one though, to go from a, you know, really attractive new job uh, in Worcester to uh, threatening to shoot up your workplace. I feel like the postal service, they went what, like 150 years before that became a thing. Well, he was fired for stealing a pair of headphones at which time he caused a disturbance at the office at the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, where were these headphones? What were these headphones? I don't know. There's a lot of mysteries in this article. Again, this is all alleged also. I don't know if there's been anybody's gone through a court case. I do like that program though. That's uh, one of, I think one of the really nice things about downtown crossing in Boston, they have a similar uh, sort of uh, ambassador program and it is just a mix of like, you know, tidying up, right? Like cigarette butts and, and garbage on the ground, but also being available to answer questions and give directions to tourists and whatnot. And it, it actually, it's, it, there's a, a, an immense amount of value uh, behind that. Do you, do you know what other business improvement districts we have off the top of your head? I think that's the only formal one, isn't it? Oh, okay. I thought that was the first. I thought you that was don't. the first bid in Worcester. Oh, great, great. Okay, I could be totally. But now that you bring that up, I could be totally wrong. I well, was under the impression it was the only if, one. I assume if you if you don't have one on Highland Street and you've never heard of one anywhere else, we probably don't have. I mean, one there are other uh, groups that are 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 formalized as uh, business associations, like the. Yeah. Uh, it, but I think as a bid, uh, you know, a business improvement district where everybody's paying into uh, a kitty that you know it's like a percentage that everyone right. agrees to, sure. and 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 that's specifically what I mean. That yeah, yeah, I know that there's plenty of neighborhood groups and there's plenty of Chandler Street Business Association. The Canal District, I think, is the uh, you know probably the the most sure. visible one at this point. But, but yeah. none of those have the power to levy a tax on all within their business improvement district and thus pay I for guys in polo so. shirts. Yeah, no, I don't think so. All right, well, we'll see how it goes. So far, it seems like you know what do we got? A little trash talking, some clean sidewalks, threats, not shooting anything up. No, just one threat. Threats, yeah. one threat. We've all deal. had a bad day. What do we have? Housing may replace struggling Greendale Mall in Worcester. This is like this is by the great Lisa Eckelbecker, but it does not actually based on anything. The Greendale <laughs> Mall wouldn't respond their their calls, and Ed Augustus has hope for the property. However, he and Mike Trainer met with a prospective buyer for the mall and had what he called a quote good conversation end quote. Mister Augustus declined to identify the possible buyer, but said the property's future might be. That might best be in a mix of uses, including housing. Great. So there's more solid reporting going on behind mountain lions in the city of Worcester right now. That's a pretty vague deal. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we got homes up, do- no homes down, does up. Uh, Worcester County home sales down, condos up. 
the median price, though, of a condo is up 17% from last year. The median price of a sold condo is up 17% year over year. This is also by the great Lisa Eckelbecker. The median price of a home is up 6% over the same time last year. So I don't think that we read into this, though, that the price of condos has gone up way more than the price of homes. I think that it's the stuff that's coming on the market. I assume. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to see a lot of too, which I hadn't seen since uh, the last time we had a bit of a, 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 a boom in the, in the housing market in Worcester was uh, what we would refer to as a three decker uh, being condoed and each floor of the three decker being sold as an independent uh, being sold as an independent piece of housing. Um, and it seemed like that was something that was just starting to get popular before the wheels fell off the, bu- the, the bus of the, the last market. Interesting in places in Massachusetts like uh, Dorchester or Southie where you have very similar housing stock, that kept up. And, and, and it's not, a, a not insignificant number of three-deckers are condos, so just three floors uh, of housing. I'm starting to see a lot of listings or a fair number of listings um, coming online. And I'm curious to see how that stock is changing some of this too, because you're, you're seeing some really well-renovated old housing stock and then the labels changing. It's coming off the rental market and going into the, uh, the housing market. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of stuff where um, just having a couple of numbers, like whatever condo sales were 5% more and the price, the median price of the condo was 70% more. Like that's not enough. We really need like some serious spreadsheet stuff going on. Right. So we can see like, Median, mode, high, low, there's percentiles. Also something, there's also something in terms of comparison as well, too. So if you look at Worcester has a lot of old homes. So if you look at a lot of the homes that were built around the turn of the last century, uh, they tend to be around 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. They seem big, but the, 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 uh, the usable space is actually kind of limited because the houses were laid out for now antiquated uh, modes of heating and cooling, right? Like we're, we're talking, so we're talking about like 1900. Yeah. So like my house was built, I think 1908 or 1910 thereabouts. And it, it, it's, it's roughly 1500 square feet. That's, but people were about two thirds the size they are now. <laughs> they were, they were <laughs> something, all, something like, don't quote me on that, but something they, like they're that. all hobbits. It was no, but it's, it, it has more to do with um, your storage space being much smaller. Uh, it has a lot to do with like the central core uh, fireplaces that were used to heat entire buildings. Yes, the yes. layouts are poor. Is all I'm getting yes. at. But if you take your average three decker floor of a three decker, that's also in striking distance of the same uh, square footage. So I think that's one of the things long term too, that's going to have a big impact on condo prices, especially if we are starting to transition three deckers to three housing units in the form of condos and not rentals. From a square footage perspective, if there's something to be said for the, the, the price per square foot in housing in Worcester, that condo price, that style anyways, is going to go up rapidly in, in, uh, compared to a lot of our older single-family housing stock that... Just just, just because you're saying just because a three-decker, the interior of a three-decker does not feel so... Enor- immense from a usable space perspective. It's actually very similar to... Many of them are very similar to you know our, our, uh, our older single-family single housing yeah, stock. Yeah. And it, But when you're when you're pricing out housing stock, you are looking at that cost per square foot. Uh, so it would, it would stand to reason that as, as a lot of both new construction uh, with really well thought out uh, layouts come online, as well as uh, a repurposing of older stock, say from the three-decker to condo um, model, you're going to end up with that square foot, price per square foot going up higher and faster on the condo side. According to Scott O'Connell on the Telegram, Worcester schools lose momentum on improving attendance. Mm. We shouldn't talk about that because we don't want to talk about negative, depressing stuff. Yeah, I guess stay positive. Like school. Sam's Club. So this is interesting. That do you the, ever wonder when, when you read yeah. something like that? Do you, Are we going to talk about school? Just a little bit. All right. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna, but in a positive I'm way. I'm going to take off my Please. headphones and, and read you something. You go to go sleep. It, do we ever stop and wonder... So. Kids aren't going to school. The numbers, uh, the number of kids who are not attending school going up. And the administration will come up with all of these um, crazy, I, I don't want to say crazy, they come up with a lot of ideas, solutions, whatever, as to identify what the problem is, why are all these kids not coming to school, and, how, and the solutions, how do we get them to come to school. Does anyone actually wake up in the morning in the administration and say, maybe school is really boring and that's why nobody's coming here? Maybe like the only people who are coming to school are like the kids whose parents are just making them to come to school. And while like, you know, Fortnite 
has no shortage of kids like rushing home from school to play and your uh, your Avengers movies uh, you know the MCU does a great job of luring kids in it like what are they doing right and we're doing wrong and maybe the answer is being interesting is that is that something that maybe we should look at when it comes to attendance is like making making school a place that kids actually want to be maybe our students are lazy and dumb it could be that, but I don't think that's it. I think they're actually... I mean, I'm not re- saying they are. Don't quote me on that. I think they're actually really, really smart, and it's the adults who are morons because the adults have no idea. Uh, I was uh, passing through Facebook the other day, and there was a, a listicle about uh, signs that you're getting old, and one of them was finding birds interesting. And it's like when you realize you get to, you've gotten to the point in life where every time you see a bird and you're pointing out to a kid... That's the sure sign that you're now an elderly person because you just have lost touch with what kids find interesting because it's not birds. And it's, I feel it's the same sort of thing here. It's like the adults are all scrambling to figure out, like, how do we get kids to be here more often? And at no point in that conversation does the conversation take the necessary left turn to make it a place kids want to go. I don't I don't even know, man. I have no. I don't want to even talk about school. I'm policy. sorry. No, that's fine. Well, it's not really policy. It's the philosophy behind creating a place that kids I mean, want to be at. I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like, I there's a there's a, a Worcester High School senior who uh, <laughs> imagine I, if we took the same approach to the Greendale Mall that you mentioned earlier, right? And like the 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 rationale. We're going to turn them mostly into housing. We're going to turn it mostly into housing, but you know, before we got to this point, as malls were like crumbling nationally. We, if we took the same approach to malls that we took with school, that just like we're going to force attendance here, we're going to like we're we're, gonna, we're actually going to like we're going to laws that if you go, don't go to the mall at least once a week to, to buy stuff that you're going to be uh, you're going to be arrested for truancy. It's a nonsense idea, right? But why not spin that around and say like, yeah, we recognize that people tend to go to places that they find uh, enjoyable. Wasn't the economy of this nation built on the enforcement enforcement of truancy laws? Though, like, <laughs> this is not. I mean, this is you're talking about like change, let's, let's change the fundamental whatever the fundamental basis of education. Okay. Which I'm certainly had nothing against that as an idea, but. Uh, I really would like to see some proof of you concept. You have a friend who plans on wearing a clown nose and a casket when he dies. Maybe if the kindergarten teacher started wearing clown noses uh, voluntarily while alive, the kids would find it more enjoyable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, man. I always, let me tell you, I always loved school, and I know that plenty of people, including, I was going to say, this high school senior in Worcester who I spent a lot of time volunteering alongside of, always complains to me. I was like, how's school today? Oh, it was terrible. Why was it terrible? And it was boring. And I'm just like, dude, I had about four boring days of school in my life. And I went to the West Virginia public schools, which are objectively way crappier than the schools are here. But it was a different time. That's the thing. But you didn't have to worry. You didn't have to grow up in a time that was all framed around standardized tests and curriculums where like, this is what we're doing. Your teachers, even if they hated you, they were still going to find a way to get into your into your noodle and 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 get you interested in what was going on. This is what I want to say: is that uh, I very much honor his dislike of school and his judgment that school is boring. As much as I honor anybody who I went to school with, who's like, "No, dude, how can you say that our school is super boring?" Yeah, I'm like, you know what? Like, that's valid. Like, that's the experience that you had. I'm a little interested to know why we had a different experience, but uh, you know, mostly I just sort of feel like. And that's, and I'm not knocking that. I'm sure the Worcester Public Schools are full of kids who love school, right? They think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. They wake up at four o'clock every morning, just, they're they're full of nervous energy, just waiting for that big yellow Twinkie to come rolling down the street to take them to to school. But if you have whatever, 16%, 20% that are, are not actually engaged in the process, let's figure out how to get them engaged. You know, Brendan, I feel like of all the things we vowed to do on this show, like we're going to get such and such on the show or we're going to do a show breaking down this thing, mm-hmm. we probably fulfill about 10% of our vows in a timely manner. So I always, always that. I always hesitate to make more vows, but I want to make a vow. Next week's show is going to be super positive. Okay. It's going to be positive topics about the city. If there's terrible things that happen, we'll acknowledge them at the top of the show. Can we bring murders. on some school committee candidates or administrators to ask them, like, you know, just ask them that. Like, should school be interesting? You know, I feel like interviewing those. I feel like interviewing school committee candidates for me is like school is for other people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like. It. I don't like it. I feel like they're probably. I mean, I just want to see like. Uh, I want to see plans that are detailed, like that train plan is detailed. Yeah. Like I want to see like schools boring. Here's how you know. Let's uh, whatever. Like let's give kids free candy or something. We're gonna pay for it for the candy out of changing this budget item. 
And we know that candy will attract whatever percentage of students more. And uh, there we go. It'll work great. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see people being like, oh, yeah, school's boring. We should make it exciting. And we should make it exciting by now, doing whatever. It doesn't whatever. have to be exciting. That's not my point. I mean, but maybe you could go from having like, a, you know, jarring uh, bells in between classes to some Post Malone. I don't know, just like a clip of Post Malone uh, playing in the background, and that's how you know it's time to go to uh, your next class. Have it's, you seen Battle Royale? Uh, I don't think so. The Japanese the Japanese movie that's kind of like a, a, a better version of the Hunger Games? No. These kids, all these kids, school kids get on a bus, and when they get off the bus, they're issued weapons, and then they have a gigantic No, battle. I don't want to go down that road. That's, well, this that's is what negative. I'm saying is that I feel like there's plenty of ways to make school interesting, such as that, but none of us, including myself, would advocate these methods. No, I, I, well, no, that's, but that's an extreme, right? I mean, it's, this is, uh, so it, as we've talked in the past about like a Worcester being a post Catholic Worcester, right? You, you know, you know what isn't on the decline when it comes to religion? Uh, the kinds of churches that play rock and roll music and everyone wears a denim jacket on Sundays, right? Like they're yeah. making things interesting for people and people are flooding into them as a result. And it's, I, I'm just saying that like we, we actually know how to get people engaged with stuff and that's make it relevant and interesting to the people that you want to engage. And if you don't do that, then whatever your model is, is going to suffer and collapse under its own weight. I tell you, man, I feel like the rock and roll churches I've known in Worcester, which I've loved so much, and none of them have survived Till this to this to this day, and I feel like demographically the evangelicals have it even worse off than the Catholics do. Um, I don't know if the rock and roll church is the model of the future. Anyway, this is too much like something that's boring and it is or whatever. Boring. It's not engaging anybody. Sam's Club is opening a fulfillment center in Worcester. So you know we used to have this Sam's Club down yeah. by the Walmart. I'll tell you a place you can get to easily on mass transit in Worcester is Walmart, dude. I needed to go to Walmart at like eight in the morning on Sunday to yeah. get some fluorescent bulbs. Cause they were way cheaper than I could buy anything at home Depot. Sure. And I'm like, I don't have a car and I'm not going to wake anybody up and borrow a car. Is it reasonable for me to take a bus out to Walmart on a Sunday morning? Yeah, it sure as heck is. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, we went out of our way for Walmart. That's what we, we named it. We gave him a street. We, uh, we, we rolled out the red carpet. Well, I tell you, I have my problems with Walmart, but man, those fluorescent bulbs, the fluorescent candelabra fan bulbs are pretty cheap. Part of me is actually shocked that when they rebuilt the WRTA station downtown that they didn't actually put it down in front of Walmart. Sam's well, Club. What do you got with Sam's Club? Well, here's what I got. So, you know, we used to have the Sam's Club and then it got closed yeah. uh, in January 2018. This mm -hmm. is by Telegram and Gazette staff, so I can only assume who wrote who worked on this. Probably a Bill Shaner, mostly. I don't know. <laughs> a little bit of everyone. Um, so, you know, they, they in January, they closed 63 Sam's Clubs. Uh, and the Worcester Wing closed and laid up 167 workers. Yep. So now they are turning the Sam's Club facility in Worcester into an e-commerce fulfillment center. So huh. basically like an Amazon warehouse, but like a Walmart Amazon warehouse. Sure. And it's going to employ 200 people, including one friend of mine who I know was super excited about working at this place always brings this up every time I talk to this person. No kidding. Um, I'm not going to give any identifying information nope. about this person, but you go down that. Well, this is the thing there's information in here or in this article. Is, that, is it going to be the same location? Uh, it's the same facility, same facility as far as, yeah, it's in the, it's in the building. Like, I mean, these huh. places, I mean, you know, like you think about those, those Sam's clubs and those Walmarts. I mean, they're kind of warehousey, right? Like yeah. they're literally like a warehouse with, you know, uh, that seems like a terrible location for a fulfillment center. Well, it's right next to a Walmart. No, the Sam's Club. Oh, oh you're talking about the one down there. I thought you meant the one that was over by um, uh, West Boylston Street. That's where we had a this Sam's Club. This is the one on Tobias Boland Way. Oh, okay. So we had a Sam's Club that was up uh, also on the other side of the city, up oh. by uh, the uh, West no, Boylston, no, no, by no. Quid Sig or the old Higgins no, Armory. I'm talking about my Sam's Club. Your Sam's Club. By you can my get to Walmart because it's the one that Sunday. I can take a bus to on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Anyway, I think this is kind of rad. Like, uh... I don't know, man. Like, I'm not a big fan of Walmart, and honestly, like, Amazon runs half my life. Mm -hmm. But I'm always happy for there to be some comp some good competition for uh, Amazon, so that Amazon keeps on their toes. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is pretty. It's pretty good. It's uh, I don't know. It's 200 more jobs. Yeah. You want to see my friend? You go down there. My friend is going to be there. My friend is going to be there. actually. This is the funny thing. They have they have a ribbon cutting for this. Uh, they had a ribbon cutting for this last week, I guess, week before. Uh, but it's you know it's a building that no one will ever go in. It's yeah. like holding a ribbon cutting at like a, a power plant or something. Mm. It's like 
the, the public at large is not going to wander into this fulfillment. Some of these center. ribbon cuttings too, I, I find are interesting. And in, I remember, remember being critical. We might've talked about this actually when Walmart opened that like your standard, everyone from the congressman down, like was there for the ribbon cutting. And it's like, wait a second, like this place kind of like fly it, it's mere existence flies in the place of all of the labor values that you claim to hold, but you're, People love big scissors, novelty scissors, and a big piece of string will get anybody excited for a photo op, even if the thing that's behind them doesn't actually match up with anything they claim to stand for. What do you got? Uh, something over there? I had an idea for a story, but it was boring. It wasn't okay. negative, but it was boring, so I'm going to skip it. Um, you know, Brendan, I think that's all for this episode. What do you think? Uh, one last question for yes. you. We've had a lot of talk in the news this week about civil war. I just want to know real quickly. We have to go into detail. I have, that is not one of the events. I have not watched that entire film. What? Just no, that, no, not dis- the, no, not full the, disclosure. Yeah, not the movie. Uh, I have not. I could not get through like half of that. Movie. That's fine. Not the movie. I was talking about the president. Uh, I think it's the first time in, you know, well, since the last one that we've had presidents talking about civil war. I was just curious if you're thinking about, we, we do a lot of everyday carry type type talks on the show every once in a while. Are you thinking of changing up your, your EDC at all for in preparation for a civil war? No, I feel like my EDC is honestly... Like uh, you get a, a very sensible tote bag over there. Maybe you can start going with a plate carrier instead. I have a keep ridiculous... Your, I have a ridiculous... banana and a plate carrier. For somebody who's basically a pacifist, I have a ridiculous amount of good post-apocalyptic equipment yeah. at my house. Something actually that I was thinking was... Something that I would like to research and talk about on this show is um, uh, like disaster relief slash evacuation plans for the city. Okay. Because I was reading... It's something I think something recent, you know, someone was commenting on the thing which is frequently being commented upon, which is that our uh, our food chain, mm-hmm. our like the sort of supply chain for our grocery stores, we get eight, people get eighty percent of their food from grocery right. stores, and that supply chain is like just in time. Like there's a couple of days food in the supply chain, sure. but frequently you're buying something which did not exist in a food state two days ago. Right. Um, or, you know, I didn't even enter the state of Massachusetts until two days ago. And so the idea is that if you have some sort of civil unrest or some kind of crap hits the fan type situation, um, I'm thinking of all these weird, you know, all these weird uh, acronyms they use on the boards where, mm. we, t- where we talk about our interest in prepping. Um, you know, like we all, if we only have a couple of days worth of food in the city of Worcester, then if something bad disaster like happens in Worcester, like, part of the problem is let's get some people out of here. Let's get some sanitation going. And part of the problem is like, well, people are, are going to be like at each other's throats for food yeah. within a couple of days. And, uh, I feel like we have to have some kind of plan around this there. Yeah. I mean, or somebody's thought, thought about this on some level of government and somebody's written down somewhere what the deal is with food in Worcester. If there's a disaster, Chances are good. Somebody probably wrote that report and then immediately went out and bought a couple motorcycles for their family so they could get the hell out of the area as quickly as humanly possible. And they realized that there is no good solution to that problem. Well, I assume that you, like me, your hero in this area is the Mormons because the Mormons are strongly encouraged to, uh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? The, the Mormons are, you're strongly encouraged to have a year's worth of food for your household. Mm-hmm. Um, and a year's worth of food is not, it's not that much food. No. Like, if you're like a middle-class family or you know even a lower middle-class family, I'm sure you can buy a year's worth of food and have a big closet or some big chunk of your garage or your attic that you can store it in. I think it's well within the means of many, many, many Americans. Because you're not talking about high cuisine, right? You're not, you're not preparing for, you know, a James Beard award winning chef to come over and take care it's of it. It's a lot of canned goods. Just it, calories. That's it, all yeah, you're looking for. It's not even like dehydrated. It's not stuff. Yep. It's not like, it's not like super portable stuff. It's just like a bunch of cans of mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like that is something, whenever you start talking about civil war or civil unrest or whatever, I always feel like my responsibility sort of as a, as a, as a childless person is to uh, stick around the neighborhood and take care of the less vulnerable until sure. I get shot in the head, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm assuming, I'm guessing 72 hours, give or take, when that's going to happen. But So that's kind of my 72-hour plan. So yeah. I have plenty of stuff around the house, but I don't have a year's worth of food. No. And I sometimes I think about that that like that could be a uh, yeah that we got to have a plan. Uh, we don't have a year's worth of food stockpiled in the city of Worcester anywhere because that would be a large year's worth of food for two hundred thousand people would be quite a large amount of food. Yeah, 
But you know, what we do have is a lot of institutions that probably have more food than average uh, cities would have, right? So if you if you started combining, say, everything from like the DCU center to all of our colleges, uh, to the National Guard, uh, you know, armory that's over by uh, Lincoln Street. Sure. Like, there probably are places that where we have more food than most cities our size or surrounding communities. Yeah, I don't know. This, again, is why I would like to read this. Totally this, making that up. This, this not notional report by somebody, because yep. I have I really have no idea. Like, I think about, or I think you just think about, like, the mustard seed or any place that's like a food pantry or soup kitchen. Like, from one perspective, you have a lot of food around, but from the, like, three days perspective you don't like in part oh, yeah like you have a lot of food around you feel like you have a lot of food around because every day you give out enough food that helps 200 people eat 300 400 500 600 people eat yeah and every day that much food comes in through the door mm-hmm. so you feel like you have a bunch of food around because you're having 600 people's worth of food coming in through the door every day yeah uh frequently unsolicited well in the model uh, for that and too. that t- totally crashes once you no longer have uh, a supply chain the, the model for they're totally but I think that's also where the model, uh, the most recent model we have for that is Hurricane Katrina, right? Because, you know, the narrative behind Hurricane, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina was chaos. But you, you talked to all the people who were actually there after the fact, and it seems like it was the furthest thing from chaos, right? Like organizations that previously didn't exist or were frowned upon, like a lot of uh, like gang members, organized crime. Uh, we were hearing in, in the immediate wake of you know, the, the, the stadium, you know, being full of raping and pillaging or whatnot. But like the National Guard troops that were there after the fact were saying like, no, that was the exact opposite of what was happening. It was like elder members of street gangs were actually stepping up to the plate and keeping everything organized and like starting to uh, divvy up responsibilities. And just as long as that slim pipeline of uh, food and, and potable water was coming in from like FEMA and the National Guard, yeah. you had people that otherwise were viewed as disposable castaways in society were the only folks that actually had an existing network and were able to start handling the uh, the difficult task of, of, of distributing uh, those foodstuffs to that massive population. And then on the outside as well, too, you had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, very left-leaning groups that were sort of organizing out, out of nowhere, providing security, uh, food, and shelter for entire neighborhoods that were kind of cut off from yes. the outside. You know, I, I want to say for anybody who's listening to this podcast a year or two in the future when finally the nation has fallen apart and yeah. you're, listening to, you're listening to old podcasts to try to gain information information for your, uh, Peace, for your civilization road warrior type situation yep. you have going on that uh, I currently, as of today, do not have a year's worth of food at my house. Yeah. Anywhere close to a year's worth of food at my house. I probably have a year's worth of pickles at my house yep. because one of my housemates is very into pickling things. But uh, but I, I, do, I do plan to get a year's worth of food, but I'm not going to keep it at my house. I will share it with you in our when we get to the road warrior situation, I will share it with people. Yeah. Hit me up. We will share part of that food. I'm not going to keep it in my house, though. So don't invade my house. <laughs> You're standing outside my house right now in a far future with a, with a with a machete and a flashlight and a podcast. A machete of, that you probably gave them as a guest on their show. And some kind of futuristic podcast player from two years in the future. And you're listening to this thinking, I'm going to break down this door and I'm going to get some food. There's no food in that building, buddy. Yeah. It's all at a different facility in the neighborhood. I'm not going to say where it is. You come and ask me, though, and you can definitely have it. Come and ask me, but don't shoot me. Are we done? It's nonsense. Boy, I feel like this. Yeah, but I feel like it, there could be way worse nonsense on this show. Well, people, nobody's listening to it on Facebook, so that's a good sign that we've talked too long. <laughs> um, that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. And Worcester, remember, you can bench more than you think you can. What is going on in this episode?